So I think that me and Ayan have probably been dying to talk about Zuko and Azula the most because he told me, like, quite a long time ago that he stands Azula, that she's his favorite character, and he really likes her. And I guess I went through some stages with Azula, which I think many of you can relate to at the beginning of the show. Well, not really the beginning. She doesn't really come in until the second book. But at that point... You just kind of hate her because she's whoa, whoa, really... Whoa, whoa, Are we going into the heavyweight battle right now? Yeah, why not? No, this is we the should save... No, this is... Dude, you cannot give away the meat of the show in the beginning of the show. You gotta... You gotta... You gotta work out Alrighty, the appetizers so for the heavyweight sexism battle. Sexism and Avatar. <laughs> you can't start off with sexism either. Come on, we oh gotta start God. off with something better okay, than you, that. You start then. You tell me what you want to talk about. Yeah, don't even know what it is. <laughs> you don't know what Rescuers Down Under is? Are you serious right now? That someone from the kingdom had come with the crown to like the like, like, Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of Incoherent Geek Shit. And we have the best topic we're probably ever going to have. Avatar The Last Airbender. It's been popular on Netflix for like weeks since they brought it out on May 15th. And of course that popularity is dying down, but I and I have rewatched it and now we must speak about it and argue about why Zuko is better than Azula. Uh, but that aside, I have a special question that I have just been dying to know the answer to. And I don't think Ayan is going to know the answer, but I'm going to ask him anyway. What I want to know is, does Aang ever get cold? Because he's bald? <laughs> no. No, because if you watch him through the series, okay, they start off in the Southern Water Tribe where it's literally like Antarctica and he's just wearing like that flimsy little yellow and orange like outfit and he never changes his outfit almost well, okay. ever. So the thing is, there's something called Darwinism. It's when a species evolves due to the climate or the location that they're located in. So... I mean, the whole thing is about this boy being frozen in an iceberg for a hundred years. So his body probably adapted over a hundred years to be perfectly adaptable to cold weather. So he doesn't need anything to keep him warm. And he's also a firebender. Did you forget that? Like they can generate heat at any time. And even when he wasn't able to firebend, firebending is a part of him. And he's also a dozen other fire avatars prior in his previous lives so he has that fire burning in his heart keeping him warm at all times and he also has his love for katara keeping him warm and fuzzy <laughs> so he doesn't need any jackets or anything but if that was a bald joke then yeah maybe yeah unfortunately it was not a bald joke maybe i should have played it off as one uh but i think the simple answer to that would have just been he's the avatar doesn't feel hot and cold apparently he feels it all he's the avatar he feels <laughs> okay. all the elements what are you talking about I'm, hot and cold and here's, rocks you're <laughs> and rocks yeah he feels all of the rocks okay but you're saying okay darwinism how come all of the water tribe has to wear those clothes and how come they're not like gray from fairy tale because they've been living there in antarctica literally forever well why do they wear jackets? What are they doing? Well, it's because the water tribe people are just, they're just weak. 
they're, they're just weak. It's just how it is. They died off. Like, all of them died off. They got eliminated uh, by the Fire Nation. Say, like, they didn't exactly die off. They got murdered. Well, yeah, a lot of them were, like, enslaved. So, And then they got relocated into the Fire Nation, which is hot, you know, like actual land. So, you know, they didn't really get a chance to develop their bodies. That's just how it works. Or another spiritual explanation for that is they just get their warmth or their coldness adaptability from the spirits they worship. Okay. Simple um, solution. Right. Moving on. Wow. So I did have the answer for you. Uh, and you I thought like, I wouldn't know. Like, yeah, I have answers for everything. Like, I feel like that answer is probably a little bit more of like a theory that you created uh, rather than something that's actually canon. But you know what? I'll take it. I would have just taken, well, he's the Avatar because I feel like, you know, that's kind of the whole whole thing. He is the Avatar. That right, would have anyway. been the worst answer you could possibly give. So I gave the best answer you can give. Okay. Well, anyway, pat yeah, yourself go, on go the ahead. Back. Pat yourself on the back and, and let's move on. So I think that me and Ian have probably been dying to talk about Zuko and Azula the most because he told me, like, quite a long time ago that he stands Azula, that she's his favorite character, and he really likes her. And I guess I went through some stages with Azula, which I think many of you can relate to at the beginning of the show. Well, not really the beginning. She doesn't really come in until the second book. But at that point... You just kind of hate her because she's whoa, whoa, really... Whoa, whoa, Are we going into the heavyweight battle right now? Yeah, why not? No, this is we the should save... No, this is... Dude, you cannot give away the meat of the show in the beginning of the show. You gotta... You gotta... You gotta work out Alrighty, the appetizers so for the heavyweight sexism battle. Sexism and Avatar. <laughs> you can't start off with sexism either. Come on, we oh gotta start off with something better yeah, okay, than you, that. You start then. You tell me what you want to talk about. Okay, all right. Let's... Let our audience know right now, how many times have you watched Avatar? Just cold run right now. How many times have you watched Avatar? The Last Airbender. Probably three times. Is, is this your third time watching it? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, yeah. So something I had on my notes for this show was that I've seen seasons one and two, book one and two, at least three times each. But I've never rewatched season three since it aired. So this is my first time rewatching season three and the entire show since 2007. But I've seen every episode of season one and two at least three or four times. And the reason for that is I was a day one viewer, right? I was a day one fan of Avatar Last Airbender even before season one finished. And when it was running in the summertime on Nicktoons, not Nickelodeon, Nicktoons, they would have reruns of season one and two all the time leading up to season three. Because there was a pretty, if I remember correctly, there was a pretty big gap between season two and season three before it came out. And so they used to play it all the time. So I've watched every episode of those first two seasons over and over. But after season three ended, I don't know, it felt like something, it felt like something ended with me too. So I never really wanted to watch the show again because it, the journey was over for me. And now that it's back on Netflix or re-release on Netflix and, you know, everybody's talking about it again, I never forgot about Avatar. It's always been special. It, it was one of the last shows I hacked. It was must-see TV where I had to be in front of the TV for the premiere episode each week in, each week in and out. 
So now that everybody's talking about it again on on uh, Netflix, rewatching season three for the first time again in what is it thirteen years? It's amazing. Like I get goosebumps just watching the show because it feels like I'm reconnecting with family or like a part of me that has been dormant for 13 years that I left behind or I grew out of. Like the story of Avatar never left me. I've always loved it, but I haven't thought about it like every single day like I used to when when it was airing on TV. So I don't know. It's 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 very it's really interesting. So what about you? I mean, do you watch it periodically or like yeah i mean so the first time i ever watched it i was probably around 18 years old so i didn't have the same experience of watching it as a kid and people are going to get tired of me saying this but it's because i didn't have cable so avatar did not air on the television the channels that we had um i remember my friend talking about it when she was a kid i remember she really liked katara and i i remember that like blatantly for some reason but um yeah I didn't watch it until college and I had a boyfriend at the time who was like hey have you ever seen this and I was like no and he's like we've got to watch it so we watched it together and that was actually my very first time ever watching it and I want to say even though Ion says we cannot talk about it yet but I have to say that I loved Zuko from the start like first episode he was in I was here for it I don't know why but I just I loved him I literally would like be watching it with my ex and would be like rooting for Zuko to capture the avatar and like would be salty whenever they beat him but anyways after that I think I watched it I think the last time I watched it was probably like a couple years ago maybe so like every now and then I'll just go back to it and watch it because it is so good. Like, that's the thing, is when you think about the types of cartoons that are coming out now, or even stuff around the same time, they don't really have what Avatar has, which I think is incredible character development, uh, incredible world building, and so many, like, different aspects that go into that world, because it's not just, like, the culture of each nation, because while that is such an interesting part of the show, you also do have aspects like sexism, imperialism, genocide. Like, there's so much in this show. It's kind of incredible that it's for kids. But then at the same time, it almost feels like this is what we should be mm-hmm. giving to our kids. Because I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned, especially from characters like Zuko and Azula. But not just them, because even the main characters... You see how they deal with things and how they grow and become better people because they make mistakes. They get in arguments and you just, you see how they resolve those things in a pretty mature way. So I do think like, yeah, this is part of why it's a good show, but also part of why like you wish there were more shows like this and especially like yeah Yeah, there's no shows like this anymore like that's actually something that i wanted to talk about too the show immediately right off the bat it took three episodes to get into it you know the whole getting out of the whole um, zuko and the southern water tribe stuff but once you get around to the earth nation stuff the great teaching moments and payoffs just start happening like the first one that you can notice immediately is the kiyoshi island episode like that's where Aang first kind of gets into back into the world. 
and sees what the world is like now. And he's a celebrity, right? All the, remember all those little right. girls were like, yes. oh, Aang, I'm your fan, this and that. And like, oh, I love you. And then like he's acting like a little snob because he's so mm-hmm. cool now. And that episode, by the end of that episode, Aang learns a huge, huge lesson that he has responsibilities to the world because of who he is. And that all of the actions that he does, no matter what it is, his happiness, his sadness, no matter what, any of his actions, they all cause consequences, no matter what. Kyoshi Island was burned down because of him. Katara wanted to leave earlier. He said, no, I wanted to hang out with these girls. All these people lost their homes because of him. And that's episode four, I believe, right? That was yeah, the first. It's pretty early on. Yeah. And just watching that. It's amazing. It's actually really deep. And when you're watching as a kid, if you did watch it as a kid, which I didn't either, it was uh, I was in high school when Avatar came out. When that happened as a kid, you probably wouldn't see it, but you do realize something when you see the facial reaction from Aang as he watched everything get burned because of him. You sense something as a kid innately, you know. So even if you don't fully grasp the life lesson that Avatar is trying to teach you, you do understand, okay, this guy needs to do something. And he did do something. He got on that big water dragon thing and sprayed all the water. The unagi. And, yeah, Unagi. Yeah, there you go. Unagi. He flew away to lead Zuko and um, his firebenders away from the town. Right. Like, it's great. It's, it's well, really, really great. And that's the same episode where Sokka learns that girls can be strong too. Even though Katara is trying to teach him that lesson from the beginning, I think this is where he really sees it because like Katara's never really like whooped his ass, well maybe, but we haven't, you know, seen it in the same way. Where this time, you know, I think the tribe that he comes from, um, usually it's always men that are warriors. For some reason he has this idea that like women need to be protected and women aren't going to be as strong as him and this and that. But, you know, he gets his ass handed to him uh, by Suki and he's like, you know what, I'm wrong. And I think it's such a beautiful moment because he actually takes that lesson right away and shows humility and asks her to teach him and even wears the dress. And I feel like that's something that even adults, maybe actually more so adults struggle with It's so hard to put aside your pride and admit that you're wrong and grow. You know, for some reason, that's hard for us to do. And that's why that's such a great lesson. And I think you see things like that throughout the show. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the earliest instances of it. Because, you know, Suki is also such a great character in her own right. She's a great companion for Sokka. But it's not just because of that. She's powerful she's intelligent and she's like you said able to put any man or woman in their place because of her skill sets right she's also very prideful yet she displays a feminine side remember that remember she actually says to Sokka you know she's a warrior but she's also a girl there's nothing wrong with being both that's really interesting because most action shows or actually most kid shows you have a defined role a male has certain characteristics a female has certain characteristics in avatar females could be badass they can kick ass they kick ass better than male characters let's be honest like most, yeah a lot of them do yeah yeah but, but most of them do yeah and this is what i really like about avatar because they have characters like suki 
putting Sokka in place, or they have Azula putting Zuko in place. Basically, everybody could beat Aang until he taps into his avatar state and, and stuff <laughs> like that. But like Suki is what I imagine a great female character, like a strong female character would be like. Feminine, but also very strong and prideful and being able to hang with anyone regardless of sex. That's really cool because I do have a problem with a lot of characters nowadays in these adaptations. Like one of them was Captain Marvel. So I, I know for sure you haven't seen it, but the Correct. movie, yeah, the movie with Brie Larson, she, if she didn't have blonde hair and breasts, you could probably write that character as a male and nobody could bat an eye. And that's not what, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's what we should be teaching people because we, they basically made a male character into a female character, and that's not even the Captain Marvel character. So in Avatar, all the characters have their identity, but they also have a strength that it, it, it doesn't matter if they're male or female. The sexism thing, I kind of see it with uh, what you're talking about in that episode because Sokka is really very difficult to deal with there he's actually pretty annoying in the first season he's outwardly <laughs> sexist like the yeah. whole like in the first uh, until that episode because the whole reason that katara even ends up breaking the ice is that she's so mad at him for saying he he does say sexist stuff i can't remember exactly what he says but he says a lot to, of it yeah yeah it has to do with like her being a girl and blah 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 and so yeah and and that's when he learns his lesson in the the kiyoshi island but i think kind of um do you know when? I'm sure it may, you probably do. When did Avatar actually air? Was it 2007? Um, no, it finished in 2007. Season okay. uh, three debuted in 2007. So I believe it was like 2005, if I remember correctly. 2005 so, or 2006. What I was thinking when I was watching it, I mean, feminism has been around for a long time, for sure. But it almost feels like a type of modern feminism like before modern feminism, but at the same time, I think what's so great about having all these powerful female characters is it doesn't feel like it's pushed in your face. It doesn't feel like it's thrown in your face. It doesn't feel like it's done for the sake of just putting in a powerful woman. You know what I'm saying? Is like yeah. like you said, they all have really great, like fleshed out individual personalities. So it doesn't feel like like none of them are what do they call them? Mary Sue's? That's mm-hmm. the term. It doesn't feel like that. And it also doesn't feel like, oh, we're just doing it for the sake of like um, a social justice thing or whatever. Because yeah. I feel like a lot of the shows now, you know, it's great to have diversity, but a lot of times it feels like they're doing it for the sake of diversity and not because like they're creating actually interesting characters. If that I makes 100% sense. agree with you. Yeah, I 100% agree with you there. It, it doesn't feel like they're making a male character into a female character and calling it a strong character. It feels like it's an actual char- a female character who's strong and has its her own identity and isn't afraid to be a female. That's what a good, strong female character is. So yeah, I, I, totally, right. I totally agree with you. Yeah, exactly. And I think in a lot of cases, them being women is necessary. Um, you know, for Toph, part of it is her background. Her background is a lady. If she was a boy, would her parents have treated her the same way, blind or not? I honestly don't think they would. I think they still would have been overprotective, but I don't think they would have been like, oh, she's fragile and delicate and all that stuff. And obviously, Suki couldn't be a Kyoshi warrior if she wasn't a woman. 
and and all of that has to do with the world building and the history of the Avatar Kyoshi. So it also does feel like, you know, you can't really switch a lot of these genders because it takes away from the show if you did, and it, it would change them in ways that wouldn't be the same anymore. I, I do feel like, too, of Avatar is they did include certain sexist things from Sokka and certain other characters like Master Paku. Yes, and he was the big one. Yeah, the way the reason they did that also could be because they wanted to break that down, which Katara did show him that it doesn't matter if you're female or male, as long as you are a good bender and you have the heart and the will to do good or you know master the art. And he learned that lesson from her. Um, so that's something that we as viewers needed to see or wanted to see, and that's what they gave us without having right. a sexist character in there. You know, that's also another thing I kind of, I kind of have a problem with now. Like everybody doesn't want these things. They don't want to see racism. They don't want to see sexism. They don't want to see anything in our media. But you kind of have to see it and have characters break it down, right? That's how we right. want to. That's how we want to teach our kids. You got to break it down, or else if we just ignore it and it doesn't exist, that's not how the real world is. It actually does exist. We can't look the other way. That's why with Katara showing Master Paku her grit like he admired her for that that's why she he decided to take her on as a as a pupil well he actually so the way that episode goes is and this is an incredible episode because when you realize like the, this whole time katara is self-taught they got like one waterbending yeah. scroll from those pirates so the fact that she was able to stand her ground against him was incredible and that hurt his pride and that's why he at first said uh, no, I don't care how well you did, even though you're better than a lot of my male students. Like, I'm still not going to teach you until he sees Grand Grand's necklace. That is true. I never thought about it like that. You're right. Yeah. But I think what that episode in particular has is um, gender roles and kind of like traditional things. So I think something interesting about the show in general is obviously there's a lot of tradition. There's a lot of culture. But we're seeing that the toxic parts of it are being removed and changed and people are learning and growing. And that's such a good, um, like, not, I guess, role model as a person, but I can't think of the word, but I guess just model. It's a good model for how we should be acting in real life. Yeah. Um, and another interesting thing about that episode, you have Yue and the guy that she's um, betrothed to. Um, so he actually says something like, yeah, you know, Yue is really beautiful and all this, but the best part about she's, like being yeah. with her is that all of the perks with her dad. Yeah. So she's seen as like a political piece, of, like, you know, like a political chess piece kind of. Stepping and, stone for his political yeah, power, yeah. Right. And so what I love about that episode is that Sokka gets so angry because he actually cares about her as a person and that shows such a great growth in his character because even though Yue kind of is more of like your delicate kind of female she doesn't necessarily show the same um like physical interest that a lot of the other female characters do she still has this um determination to like do the right thing for her people which I think is very admirable in itself so you know, Sokka, even though she might fit those stereotypes of what a woman should be, he no longer, like, pins her in that place, and he gets angry on her behalf. So I saw that as, like, a really um, telling moment for him and his character growth, 
that he's no longer like, oh, she needs this, she needs that, or she is like this or that, but instead is getting mad that someone is treating her as like, almost kind of like property in a way, like, oh, she's going to be mine and then I'm going to get this because of her, instead of someone who cherishes her and loves her. Yes, I think, I feel like Sokka's character development, we don't really talk about it much because honestly, like he's not even like the fifth best character on the show, but... (laughs) I feel like I grew to like him a lot more. Like, watching the show again, I realized just how awesome of a character he really is. And I think what people take from him usually is the jokes, because he is the character that's funny and the character that is the butt of jokes. So, like, when something bad happens, like Appa licking him or snotting on him or, you know what I'm saying? Like, stuff falls on him. All those things always happen to him. And he's also the one who doesn't bend, too. That's that's also one of those things. But... I, I think it's also really funny because they made social commentary on Sokka's standing in the show, too. During that play episode in uh, season three, he actually goes backstage to talk to the actor who portrays him to give him some, like, lines to improve his mm-hmm. jokes, right? Mm-hmm. That's, like, social commentary because in season one, he really <laughs> he really was a poorly written character. In, in the first three episodes, he was completely different from what he was going to be for the rest of the show. He kind of developed into the butt of the joke and into the comic relief. He was really stuck up and kind of like the, you know, that soldier boy character and a little bit sexist, like you said. But I, right. I, I felt like he represents a lot of, a lot of general people out there, like general audience members who watch shows like this. They might not realize they say things like this, and they don't actually feel that way. But they just say things because they feel like it's something that they need to say. Like, I, I for sure know Sokka is not a sexist person at all. He actually really, like, he really respects his sister. And he really loves his sister. And he really has a lot of respect for what Katara does. He even tells Toph that Katara is what kept him alive after the mother died. Right. Yes. And she's he knows she's a powerful bender. And he's not, he's never, he was never jealous of her power to bend. He always was proud of her and, and, and all that stuff. He felt insecurities about himself, but I, I never really thought he was a sexist character. I feel like he just said a lot of things because he wasn't educated about what he should say. And Right, but isn't that kind of how people start off? Things like sexism and racism tend to come from a place of ignorance because maybe you haven't experienced enough or maybe the people around you are that way. Yeah. And that's why throughout the adventure, he became a different person. You know, he learned a lot more about, well, he met a lot more females too, because honestly he only had grand grand and uh, Katara on his Island and a bunch of little girls. Uh, but once he started going out into the world, I, I think he got a lot better towards the end. I mean, he still made some really stupid jokes <laughs> that weren't funny, but, uh, yeah, but you know, this also leads me to another point, right? So we sexism is represented in the show. Some of it was for the better, like Katara showing off her prowess to Master Paku. But did you notice a Me Too movement situation happen in the show? I don't think so. Right. I actually did not see anybody mention this on Twitter at all. So I actually watched a show, uh, a Japanese show called Terrace House. It's on Netflix. It just got canceled. And it's a, it's a reality show. It's great where people live together and they just live their everyday lives. And there's this one season, a couple seasons ago, this one um, female 
was on a date with a male and she wasn't really feeling the guy and the guy just went in and kissed her. And Are you talking about the Ember Island Players episode where Aang just kisses Katara? Right. Right. So yeah. let me let me finish that. So when that episode aired, uh, so Terrace House, they have commentary. They actually have a panel of Japanese comedians commentating of what they're seeing on the show. Nobody said anything about that. But on Twitter, when that episode aired in the U.S. and North America, it was huge. Everybody was saying Me Too movement. Uh, like, how dare he? That is, you know, exactly what that stands for. That's the same situation in Avatar The Last Airbender. In that play, uh, during the intermission, Katara literally tells Aang he do- she doesn't know how she feels about him, and she doesn't think it's the right time. She doesn't even know she likes him. Aang just goes in and kisses her right off the bat, and she pushes him away, and she's, oh, I'm confused. I, said, I just said I'm confused, and she runs away. But nobody said anything about that. That's interesting that you bring it up, because I actually wrote that in my notes as another, like, one of those lessons that I think is really important for kids to see. But they never addressed it on the show. There was no reper- uh, repercussions on that. It was literally that is true. It was yeah, literally she that, just and then walks they away. yeah, and then they never mentioned it again. So that's something that I found really interesting because nobody mentioned it on Twitter. At least I I, I didn't see it trending like Terrace House did, or like Adam Sandler. Every time Adam Sandler has a new Netflix release, everybody's like, "Oh my gosh, is Adam Sandler still making movies?" He's so sexist, all that stuff. Because honestly, in the 90s, it was a different time. All the movies Adam Sandler makes, they're sexist. He says stupid jokes about women and stuff like that, right? But they roast him. But because Avatar is cool, and that's the new hip thing right now with this whole new re-release that is out on Netflix, and they have a bunch of new fans, and we all think Avatar is great, which I, I love Avatar. But this isn't a thing because we like the show. I, I find that yeah. a little hypocritical. Yeah, well, I think the interesting thing about um, Aang and Katara's relationship in terms of, like, physical intimacy, except for the love cave, love tunnel thing, secret love cave, that's what Saka called it. Aside from that episode, all of the kisses are initiated by Aang, and it's not like, because there's, I think, I I believe they did kiss in the tunnel, um, but I think it was mutual in that case, because they both talked about it. And they both started leaning in before the lights go out and leave you wondering. I, I feel like they did. But uh, after that, Aang kisses her before the solstice invasion. Mm-hmm. And then the next time he kisses her um, is what you're talking about after they, well, in the intermission of the play. And then the final episode, she kisses him. That's the only time that she initiates it. But out of like the kind of like main kisses that you see, it definitely is him initiating. I mean, he doesn't really ask. <laughs> he doesn't really, like... And obviously, the one before the solstice is maybe a little more understandable because they're both telling each other, like, that she says she's, like, proud of him, and they're kind of, like, having a heart-to-heart. But the thing about the one that you've brought up especially is, like, she literally just said, I don't know how I feel about you. And, you know, I can, to some extent, understand why he kissed her because I think we all have these thoughts and I think this is what you're saying there was no repercussions and this is what should have been addressed but sometimes we have thoughts like oh if I just show them how I feel then they'll they'll understand and like maybe they'll feel the same especially if they're on the fence you're like okay especially because I think you have seen this sort of thing in tv and movies before 
the sort of like surprise or even forced kiss and it comes off as romantic in those genres so sometimes we see that and think okay I just have to kiss them to show them how I feel and then they're going to feel the same but mm-hmm. that's not how it is and I think that is something the episode did right in that she walked away and she said I just told you I was confused but like you said there's not any like greater repercussion because at the end she still decides that she likes him and I guess to me that whole situation with the two of them um, and their relationship throughout the show is a little bit messy because you know Katara has all these like love interests kind of throughout the show I, I would call them flirtationships you know she's got um, Haru, she's got Jet. Some people will say she's got Zuko. Zuko. Yeah. Um, and then of course Aang the whole time. It's kind of like anywhere she runs into a guy her age, it's like he's drooling <laughs> over her, right? And they kind of have a little flirtation ship and all that. Where was I going with this? <laughs> oh, her yeah. relationship with Aang. Aang. Yeah. yeah, me always forgetting because I tangent too much. That's why the show is called Incoherent Geek Shit. Okay. But with her and Aang, you know. There's only a few moments when she shows some sort of interest in him. I would say one is definitely in the cave, the secret love tunnels. Mm-hmm. Um, and another cave time, of two lovers. Gotta get that straight. No, no, but what Sokka, Sokka calls it like a secret love cave, and his is funnier. Because they were going to go some other direction, they're getting blown up by the Fire Nation, mm-hmm. he's like, secret love cave it is, and it's just one of the funny moments, so don't take that from me. Uh Anyway, another moment that she shows some amount of interest is after they see that fortune teller lady and she says like, oh, you're going to be with a great bender. And then later Aang does something OP and she like remembers those words. I think it's at the end of the episode when he like stops the volcano from And he does that epic pose with the lava running around and she looks up and she's like, (laughs) a strong bender. She's like, oh, he's a powerful bender. Yeah. So there's definitely a few times where she thinks about it. But she does show Aang, jealousy, though, um, throughout the series. Like when they had the uh, party, the dance party, she was jealous yes, when um, right. when Sokka yeah. was like, oh, they look cute. And she's oh, if you're in that sort of thing. And then when she was dancing, yes. she was blushing. Uh, so right. she has shown like signs. But the dance they do in that episode is so cool, by the way. Anyway, keep going. It's bending. Yeah. Yeah, but, I know. Yeah, my thing with the whole Me Too movement thing was not that they shouldn't have had that. It's just that if we are going to criticize people for you know doing these things in older media like an adam sandler film or like an anime from the 2000s or 90s we have to be consistent right we can't just say oh this is fine because we because we love avatar you know but yeah with the katara and and ang thing honestly i'm one of those people who felt like it wasn't well written like it was a long-term thing I just didn't see it. And I'm a shoujo guy, so I love romance, and I've read hundreds and hundreds of romance mangas and watched a bunch of anime. I honestly didn't feel much chemistry between the two. It was mostly Aang yeah. kind of thirsting for Katara yes. more than anything. Yes, um, I agree. I, I felt like Katara had better chemistry with a couple other characters like Zuko, uh, yeah, for sure. she did have better chemistry with Zuko, I agree. Um, and Aang also had pretty good chemistry with uh anji i actually liked her <laughs> i liked them with anji i thought that was pretty cute but yeah i i really didn't like katara with ang uh but it was fine it happened we knew it was gonna happen i'm kind of neutral about them like i never really felt one way or the other about it i do think that her moments with zuko they did have better chemistry they were more touching and i understand why people ship them together because like 
they have that heart-to-heart about their mothers. Um, they fight Azula together. They go to search for her mother's killer together. Like, they do have all of these kind of, like, moments together. And, like, she hugs him. Like, where it, there is something kind of, like, there. But I personally don't really ship them. I think it I think it could actually work out if that was the end game. I think it could be a really interesting relationship to see. But I didn't personally like ship them together because I actually do like May. <laughs> I even yeah. though she's like the boring girl, the emo girl, she still is kind of interesting as a character. And when when they're together, um, Zuko and May, I think that their relationship makes sense because mm-hmm. you can see that she actually cares about him, especially when he's back in the Fire Nation. And he's talking about, like, oh, there was a there's a meeting and no one even bothered to mention it to me. And she was like, oh, I, you know, and she, there's like a scene with them. He's like looking out the window and she's like saying, oh, you could order me another tart or whatever the hell. And, you know, he's kind of down, but you can see how much she really cares about him. And like she's just there for him. And I think that's great. Going back to Katara and Aang, though, um, I think that situation where he um, kisses her like, in the in the Ember Island Flares episode. Um, I don't necessarily think that they didn't need to have that. Like, you were saying, I think the problem is that they didn't kind of show you more consequences. But at the same time, I do think there is something to be learned from that because, you know, people definitely aren't tearing it down online. But when you watch that and you see Katara storm away, like, you still know that, like, he did something wrong. But at the same time... It's perfectly valid for him to say what he said, which was like, what are we? You know, like he's over here like, you know, you've kind of shown me some mixed signals, which that's one of the things that I would. I I used to not be a huge fan of Katara because I was so in love with Zuko that I didn't like that she threatened him and that like. Was oh, the she's main a bitch sometimes like for sure. <laughs> but yeah, that and then like for sure sometimes her um, moods with like Toph and you know yeah. every now and then she's a little bossy I guess you could say. Um, but another thing I didn't like was I felt like she was almost stringing Aang, Aang along in some senses because you have that episode where they go through those tunnels and they I really truly believe they kiss because those um travelers start singing a song about love after and they're like both blushing and stuff so she initiated all of that too by the way she brought up the story and yes yes Mm -hmm. she does so i feel like you know sometimes it does feel like she's you know she's stringing him along she's not sure of her feelings and when he approaches her about it you know and it's perfectly fine to say i don't know because sometimes you don't so i think that in itself even though that was a filler episode which was something I was saying I should mention in this podcast is how even the filler episodes do have important lessons that you can take from them or character growth because I think it shows a very like realistic situation that people go through and how Aang didn't really handle it well and neither did Katara. Like neither of them really handled their relationship well and I think that's why you're saying it's poorly written because at the end of it suddenly they're just together but they never got past the point of confusion. What? There's never like a moment of Katara being like, of course I like you because X, Y, Z. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's, they don't really show us that. It's just like, oh yeah, they're together because the Avatar gets his girl. Well, you let me right into my next point, which is season three was really poorly written because it was rushed. They had to end the show. And that going back to that scene, I can tell you exactly why that kiss was there. Because immediately after that kiss... We get to that point in the play 
where um, they have that solstice moment and, or on stage, right? The Katara character, the Katara actress tells right. the Aang character, I think of you like my little brother. And he's like, I wouldn't want it any other way. And they shake hands. Yes. So that yes. kissing scene was to illustrate the doubt Aang has in his mind about the relationship and, and all that stuff. So that kiss was specifically made as a precursor for that. And that's just bad writing. And there's a lot of other things in season three that completely didn't make sense. Like, and one of the biggest points I had, and I had this feeling uh, when when the show first aired, right after it ended, something felt wrong to me because that ending was just, it didn't work. It's interesting for me that out of all of the monk teachings, killing is the only one that Aang seems to elevate onto a pedestal as a ladder to his enlightenment. Like, he, it never seemed to bother him in season one when he killed like hundreds of people, hundreds of, hundreds of soldiers with uh, went in, well, in his Avatar state. The and, thing about Avatar is, which is like similar to like Harry Potter, is like you don't really know if they kill anyone. Like, there's no can... way he did not kill people there. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I, I I rewatched this just right before we, uh, we we started filming to make sure to make sure. These people are like 50 feet high in their battleships, and he slices them in half. There's no way there's nobody in the boat when he slices it. There's nobody. There's no way somebody could survive a 50-foot drop into, like, icebergs. Like, they, they have to die. And even in that case, right, even if we'll say they don't die, like, they didn't have a chance to die, it's still an action that potentially could cause death, right? He didn't even want to confront... Um, Zuko's father, um, oh my god, I'm blanking out. Um, Ozai. Ozai, yeah, he didn't even want to confront Ozai at the end, right? So all of a sudden, just magically towards the end, that we need to hit a certain plot point that we don't want to have Aang kill anybody at the you know for the finale, we suddenly have him bring up this morality point. But that's not even the only one, right? Material wants and needs is also something the monks detach themselves from. Aang even says that before, but he's never said that about relationships monks don't get married he clearly does not and has never seemed to display conflict over his attraction to katara he never questioned it so well he is also 12 (laughs) but he's also a (laughs) monk by birth right Yeah, i know but if he takes the other teachings so well like i know hormones and stuff but i mean you know some of that is kind of confusing because you would assume the thing is if they don't have relationships like do they just fuck each other to have kids and they don't ever form bonds i don't think that's true either no i think they take kids from um villages who show potential to airbend and bring them to the temple see and that's that's, that's why the nomads made clear in the show mm-hmm. and it's also strange because it seems like most of the people there are men but then there is like a female monk avatar that like half of her head is shaved Mm-hmm. So it's kind of confusing because, like, when you see the earlier episodes, it's, like, mostly boys. Unless, like, I mean, there could be girls, too, and you just can't tell because all their heads yeah. are shaved. But Yeah, I, I'm clearly just making an assumption there. All the monks are, like, dudes, usually. Yeah. But then, you know, like I said, you still have the statues, you still have the female. Mm-hmm. There was a female um, airbender avatar. avatar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that she was married, either. But all the other avatars do get married. So I, I'm making an assumption there, but I am... That is something that when they brought up that point at the very end, hey, monks don't kill. 
it made me think like, wait a second, he's never really brought anything up other than eating animals. He's always made a very yeah, he <laughs> strong stance yeah, about being yeah. vegetarian. But all the other monks' teachings doesn't seem like it mattered at all. And that further illustrates why I feel like they rushed the ending and they created a really undeveloped ending to meet that means. And that also further illustrates Azula's descent into madness. It was really rushed and underdeveloped. Kind of, it mirrors. It really mirrors Danny and I Game knew of Thrones. Say that. <laughs> it does. It completely does. They had to get through so much with Team Avatar in season three. That I don't know if you actually like counted the runtime that Azula had in season three after the solstice, um, where um, where she comes in with the air balloon uh, to the eastern. Air Temple was it? Wherever they were I mean, hiding, it was an air. Yeah. yeah, wherever they're hiding out. After that episode, she's basically not really on the show anymore. She didn't get much airtime, uh, screen time, True. or character development after her fallout with Tylee and and and, um, and uh, what's her May. name May. Yeah. So her quick madness also felt like a plot device to empty. Okay, so this is the one that really annoys me. Her her madness was kind of just like a random thing that inserted immediately in there. At the very last three episodes. Yeah, she fell apart very quickly. So quickly. And the reason for that, and I have a little background on this because I my degree is in screenwriting. So I do pick up on this stuff. Her quick madness feels like a plot device to empty out the palace of her elite guard. She just randomly fired all her Dai Li, all her guards, all right. her assistants. She banished them So all. that Zuko and Katara can have an excuse to have a straight shot to fly straight into the courtyard without wasting runtime, precious runtime on the very last episode, clearing B-level right. enemies. Like, that's horrible writing. Like, if I could see it, <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure some people can see that, you know? And... I don't know, man. It just felt really weird. Same thing with Katara. Like, she... I know she kind of has, like, mean streaks throughout the show, but that episode with Zuko, that adventure that she goes on, the sudden rage about her mom, that was out of character for her, for sure. Yeah, and something I didn't like about that episode was... So, Zuko's like, hey, guys, I've changed. I'm, like, cool now. But he's, like, kind of egging her on. And I didn't feel like that actually matched his changes either. And the other, the other reason I say that, and now we're kind of getting into Zuko and Azula, my favorite part. Yep. If I paid very close attention to his character throughout the show, and my argument is that he was never really, like, that bad. Because in the very first, uh, I think it's either the first or second episode when he comes, I think it's the second, he comes to the Southern Water Tribe, he doesn't hurt anyone. He doesn't hurt a single person. He's like, he scares them. And then he's like, give me that boy. And Aang's like, okay, I'll come with. And then he leaves. Like, he doesn't... Sokka? Sokka attacks him. He doesn't firebend him. He doesn't do anything. He goes so easy on him. He could have killed him. He could have done anything he wanted. Those people were like sitting ducks. And he basically takes Aang and leaves. Where I feel like the sense that you get from the Fire Nation as a whole is that the rest of them would have just like literally ruined the whole town. Where all he did was like break like a small part of a wall and like like I said, leaves. We also have Kyoshi Island, which people are gonna argue. Well, he burns it down. I would argue he's partially at fault for it burning. But if you watch those scenes, none of his fire, none of his fire bending actually hits any of the buildings. I'm serious. None of his firebending hits any of the buildings. It's all of the cronies that are with him. So that's why I say he's still partially responsible because those are his people. You guys are watching Incoherent Geek Shit where we do scene by scene, frame by frame analysis to make sure our saying, favorite characters 
don't do damage that they should be blamed I'm for. I'm just saying that from the start, he's like actually a good guy and the whole reason that he got his face burned was because he didn't want to have a bunch of soldiers sacrificed for a battle that's why so the whole time he is basically a good guy but he wants his father to care about him and that's why he's doing these questionable things and that's why he's confused and angsty and you guys already know this i don't feel like i have to explain that um where was i going i keep forgetting where i was going with this i should not tangent so hard (laughs) no that was a good tangent no, you were saying... We were talking about you, well, Azula. Okay, yeah, we're getting into the meat of the show, right? So this is the showdown. We're going to talk about Zuko and Azula. So if you guys, for some reason, just skip the first half of the podcast, I don't know why you would, but in the very beginning, we let you guys know that my favorite character on the show is Azula, and Sari's favorite character is Zuko, and Sari hates Azula for various reasons. I don't reasons. hate her anymore. Well, you don't hate her anymore, I but you, you originally did. Uh, and that was yeah, I told you it changed. Yeah. Okay. So I guess I don't have to do too much convincing, but I do have like a whole bunch of stuff listed for why I like Asula as a character. Uh, so why you you started talking about Zuko and why you like him? So why don't you continue? Give me a little bit more about what you liked about the Zuko character, how you felt about Zuko as his journey progressed. I kind of already was going there with talking about how he's not actually a bad guy. I, it's one of those things where I honestly have trouble, like, why do I like him so much? And why has he always been my favorite? Why am I always rooting for him? But I think part of it is that, you know, we, you like, we're not the Avatar group. And so we get to see, like, everything that goes on with Zuko. We see his past when Iroh talks about it. Like, we see all these aspects of him that they don't see because they're not with him, Right. So I think you follow him and you keep hoping, like, you know he's a good guy because of things, like, that I mentioned. You know he's a good guy. And you keep hoping that he'll, like, make the right decision, but he keeps not making the right decision. And to some extent, like, kind of letting you down. But actually, maybe that's what's lovable about him. Because definitely. he's the most... Um, Real. God, what's... Yeah, he's he's realistic in that way, for sure. He's complicated, complex, whatever you want to say. There's like a whole thing that leads up to this, but he does let uh, Appa go free. And then he has a like big, like a really terrible fever. And Iroh's saying it's because he's changing as a person. But then, so you like think he's changed. He seems less angry and he seems like, you know, he's proud of his uncle and all these things. But then he still picks Azula's side. And I think like as... As the watchers, it's like the most disappointing thing ever because, especially if it's your first time watching, you have been waiting for this moment for him to become good and you finally think he is and then he does that. But I was thinking about why he did that and that was something I really wanted to get into. And I think one of the big reasons that he does it is he's got this like what if moment. Like he's presented with an opportunity to regain his honor in his father's eyes as the show teaches that's not what honor is honor is something you know more pure i guess you could say um but yeah so i think he sees this chance and he just can't help but think like what if i can go back because the whole show all he has wanted is for his father to accept him so i think that's why like one of the big reasons why 
he ultimately decides to go along with Azula despite seeming to have a change of heart. I think he just can't give up on that idea of like, what will it be like if I get to go home, if my father yeah. will be proud of me, and if my father will love me. Yeah, that's it's the like the golden ticket. His dad. The golden yeah. ticket is dangling right in front of him, right there, and he could grab it if he really wanted. He, that's all he ever wanted. And when, right. okay, it's like winning the lottery, right? <laughs> he's tried so many times, he's never been able to win. And when he's finally, when Iroh finally convinces him that, you know what, you don't need the lottery to be happy. And then all of a sudden, that ticket is right in front of him. And he can grab it. It's tempting. Yeah, I think, it's tempting. Right. And I think there's more to it as well. Um, he mentions when they're in Bossing Say that he has no more direction in life. He hates the life that they have in Bossing Say. He doesn't like being a refugee. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I think the biggest part of that is he has no direction. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what his purpose is because for so long it was hunting Aang. And you know, for so long, he had actually never done anything treacherous. Like, he spoke against his father, which I would argue is not really treacherous. He just made a point of, like, we shouldn't kill all these people. And he didn't realize even that he was apparently speaking against his dad because he thought he was speaking against a general, right? So he hasn't actually really done anything that would make him a traitor to his country. He was banished and he's been roaming around doing what his dad told him to do, right? So if he doesn't choose Azula at this point, that's also choosing to be a traitor. Because in that moment, he would become a traitor if he sided with the Avatar or if he did nothing. Because yeah. he didn't have to help her. He could have just done nothing and walked away while they were in a cave. But you get my yeah. point. It's like he could have just helped neither of them. But that probably would have been seen as being a traitor. Isn't it? If he did help, especially, he would have been. Isn't it so amazing how deep the show is if you think of it in like a multi-level facet? Like the Avatar has always brought Zuko hope. You know, Iroh says this, right, right? Right, It's like a beautiful way to mirror how indirectly Aang gives Zuko direction and motivation to continue living. Yes. Like the same way Avatar, the Avatar does to the rest of the people in the world. So Right. It's it's really fun when you actually watch it multiple times and look at these things and understand the themes and these character development issues. And it's really deep. I, well, and that's true for him throughout the story because in the beginning, it's direction of like, I have hope that I can go back to my country and be accepted and loved by my father. And then at the end, it's, I have a purpose for my life, which is to make my country better, which he didn't have before. And he wouldn't have without the Avatar. Yeah. So yeah, it definitely parallels that way. And then there's also the parallel of him um, in the Blue Spirit episode where Aang says something about, like, maybe we could have been friends and Zuko doesn't even say anything. He just shoots fire at him. Yep. And, uh, and then in, like, the like second, like, I think it's actually the last episode when they're coming out and Zuko's, like, crowned the Fire Lord or something and he says, like, can you imagine or can you believe that we became friends or something along those lines. There's a line about them becoming friends and so there's, like, kind of that parallel as well, even though... Like you said, there are some flaws in the last season uh, yeah. in general. They called, yeah, they called back that moment, so it was it was good. You brought up uh, a lot of good points there. I mean, I feel I like I like Zuko a lot. I think he's a great character. And okay, this is another thing: voice acting. The voice acting on the show is terrific. Like every character yes. hits it on point. And before I get into Zula, I just want to say because this whole thing again, right? I haven't watched the show in thirteen years, and watching book one and two again. On Netflix, knowing what we know now, even back then, 
when they did the reruns, I kind of felt this too. But now that I watched it from episode one to 40, it's like each episode from the first season, the second season was a countdown to like feeling like one of your family members is going to die from a terminal <laughs> illness. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like that, that tells a bossing say episode every time I get to it. I, I don't want to watch that. I want to skip that because it's it's just so heartbreaking. And, you know, Mako was like such a great, like we all love Iroh. Iroh was actually my second favorite character on the show th- throughout the, sh- the series. And I always, when I grew up, when I was a kid, I loved, I absolutely loved Samurai Jack. And when he dies, and you know when he dies, it's like the most heartbreaking thing because I don't know if you noticed this, but um, Uncle Iroh's not really on the show much on season three. I mean, yeah. No, yeah, I did notice. I was like, he's gone. They're separated, right? And a lot of yeah. that was because, you know, they recasted the actor. And he, he did a great job. Uh, I forgot his name, but. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he's really good. He took over for um, the new season of Samurai Jack uh, as a coup, uh, too. He, he does his voice really well. He does Mako's voice really well. But even to this day, he refuses to sing. Um, Little Soldier Boy, because he's all he says that's Mako's song, um, but yeah, I, I noticed that I was I was like, oh man, each episode I love it, I, I I love watching it, but each episode felt like it was just an impending doom, <laughs> so it, it felt weird well, for me to watch that. Yeah, one of the things that I felt rewatching it, I realized like how sad the show is because for some reason, and maybe it was because like the first time I watched it. I was watching it with another person, and so, like, you know, it was more of, like, a social mm-hmm. thing. We're, like, watching it alone. There were so many moments that made me sad, like, thinking yeah. about um, how... Because there's, there's, like, a moment when Katara is... She's mad at her dad for leaving her, yep. and she's, like... And Aang's, like, are you mad at him? And she's, like, no. But then when Aang kind of, like, runs away, she starts crying and telling her dad. She's, like, I know it's not your fault, but I'm still so upset that like you left us and just there's so many moments similar to that of like family or like certain types of loss. And it it could be like a cultural loss, like all of the airbenders being literally wiped out. Like when you think too much about them, it just is sad. And then when they're brought up in the show, there are a lot of moments in, in the show that like made me feel teary and like, especially, you know, and moments with Zuko and Iroh too. Like, the scene where they meet again in the third um, season, like, mm-hmm. it's also really beautiful because this whole time, you know, Zuko's been trying to make somebody love him that's probably never going to love him when he's had someone there for him the whole time. And I think throughout the show, he does realize that because even in the flashbacks as kids, you can tell he kind of dotes on his uncle. Um, but he's also, like, ashamed of the way that he's treated his uncle because he's yelled at him and he's taken his anger out on him and zuko's always and loved his uncle though like we we knew yes, that when they said their yes. goodbyes um when he had to at, at the end of season one and uh, iroh was telling him oh you got to stay warm be careful and he's like yeah, i use know your fire breath yeah, and, yeah i know that was one of the moments too where you could really see that like they did have a true bond and i think part of what's so like riveting about zuko's character is that You know he loves his uncle, but, you know, I feel like his uncle maybe can't replace his dad. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's because his dad's still alive and his dad's, like, somewhat still in his life. And he grew up, he talks about um, 
like when they go and that Ember Island players episode, they're like, oh my god, like we're hiding in the Fire Lord's own house. And he's like, he doesn't come here anymore. We only came here like a long time ago when we were happy. And that's like a very big thing is I think he did experience some. No, they didn't. Of... <laughs> yeah, that was an error. They absolutely didn't. And we find out in the comics. But yeah, I, I oh, totally okay. understand what you're saying <laughs> because when I was watching uh, episode five, Aang reuniting with Boomy, I've, when I watched that, when it first came out, I didn't feel anything. It was just like, oh, it's a funny episode. It's kind of a little touching. This time when I watched it, I got goosebumps and teary-eyed. And it's, it's like, it's so sad to think about. You have a friend, like someone you really care about that you're good friends with, that you visit each other all the time. And the next time you see them, they might not have much long, longer to live compared to you. Right, right. You know, he's basically his, decrepit. Yeah, his life is basically, even though he's really in good shape for a 115-year-old. Yeah, he's ripped. Yeah, he's ripped. But, I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? He, he's not going to be in Korra, whereas Aang no. isn't in Korra too, but he lived long enough to get into that era. But, yeah, I mean, there's so many great moments in the show that just you, you, you overlook it during the first watch, the second watch, third watch maybe, but now maybe because I'm older too, like, I don't know, man, watching that just makes me feel so sad. And that's why it's my turn to talk about Azula. So <laughs> Azula, my favorite character before season three was Toph. Like everybody loves Toph. She's the best character out there. Like she's the person everybody wants in their life. She's strong-willed and she's loyal and proud. Like that's, She's funny. That's why everyone loves Toph. Right. But after the show ended, I kind of started feeling something for Azula because I started thinking about Azula a lot. Okay, so I'm going to go through a lot of points about Azula. And analyzing her character is so fascinating, seeing as she had absolutely no redeeming characteristics, nor was she portrayed in any sympathetic light at all. At well, all. There, there's a couple, but for the most part, yes. Well, the beach episode really, that... I mean, they're trying to humanize her like a party with the party thing and like a teenage romance thing. It it really wasn't a redeeming characteristic in my opinion, right? Because her whole existence is really tragic if you think about it. Nobody in her entire life loved her, like actual love. Her father saw her as a tool. Her mother saw her as a monster. This is even further heightened when we learn what happened to Ursa in The Promise and The Search. And that her brother never had a chance to be there for her. You know, when they were kids, he was always babied right. or protected by Ursa. And even when he she was teasing him, Ursa well, never gave her him a chance to kind of, you know, get into it. And then he was banished before he got to an age where they could communicate properly. I think the thing with them as kids was he had so many insecurities. I mean, he, he carries them throughout the show, but she was always using those insecurities yeah. against him. So I think it was hard for them to create a bond as kids. And having brothers myself, I can tell you that as kids, we fought all mm -hmm. the time. Every single day, my parents probably couldn't stand us. Like, it was really bad. And I know that there's um, probably a lot of people that have a similar situation where, like, you know, as you grow older, you mature a little bit more and you no longer are at each other's throats, you know, and you, you maybe even become friends, you know. Um, obviously there are also some kids that start out as friends. I think that Katara and, um, Saka probably were a little more friendly with each other because their mom died. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think that as kids, 
I think what got taken away from them was the chance to become friends yep. from childhood, the chance for Azula to mature because her whole life she's just been told, like, make people fear you because that will keep them at your side and doing what you want. And I have this theory that um, May and Ty Lee were basically bought to be her friends because they're like not maybe not bought, but like chosen because they come from high born, like noble families and they both went to the same exemplary school. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty sure that they were chosen to be her friends. And in May's case, she was told, you have to be friends with this girl. If you're not, you could ruin my chance at being governor or whatever right. the hell political position her dad wanted. So she had to basically go along with I Azula. feel like that is true to a certain extent, right? That's yeah. actually my next bullet point. Her friends, Ty Lee and May, they, they're afraid of her. Well, and, and with Ty Lee, you really you see, see it. Because yep. she's constantly saying, oh, you're so perfect. You're so this, you're so that. She's like constantly bootlicking yeah but i do feel like they they might have been originally assigned to be her friends like a princess with you know her her right. her, her uh yeah her little uh maidens but i do feel like they actually learned to care for her and maybe they did have a friendship with her that was genuine but the power dynamic was impenetrable and it's yes. noticeable because when she visits ty lee to recruit her for, uh, in season two ty lee genuinely seemed excited to see azula but the moment right. Azula said, you don't have to join me. It's okay. You can stay here and be a circus clown, but I'm staying to watch your show tonight. Like you can see Tylee's expression just drop. And it was like impending yes. angst because she knows she's going to fuck her over. <laughs> and, yep. and, you know, the great thing about Zuko, though, is Zuko and, and Azula, even though the personalities are different and the backstories are different, they could have, they were so similar in many ways. Like Zuko had people who were af- who weren't afraid to kick him off his high horse. He had generals, his own officers confront him and he learned lessons on on his ship because of that. And his people, right. his his um admirals learned that he is a good person, that he cares about his crew and that he's just cuz not right. to show it. Azula has never had that. She's only had yes men. So in a way, Zuko could have been Azula and Azula could have been Zuko if they were in reverse positions. He's just essentially yeah. a further redeemed Azula in the early seasons, you know? Well, I think another thing with that is Zuko doesn't have the same standing as her because by this point he's been banished for like three three years. Because um, they say somewhere in the show that he was banished for a total of three years. Or it's been three years since he went back to the Fire Nation. Um, so he doesn't really have status anymore. I mean, he's the banished prince, right? So what's he going to do? If they talk mm-hmm. back. Whereas Azula, if they talk back, she can end their life. She can end their career. She can do anything. Because she still has the support of her father and, and like, the ruling class behind her, basically. Like, she still has the power of the daughter of the literal Fire Lord. So, where Zuko doesn't really have that. So, I think that's part of yeah. why people are willing to talk back to him and that's not true. to her. Plus, she's, like, also scarier than him. <laughs> hey, he, he's she pretty really scary, is. man, with the with the scar. He yeah, he be. can be. He And in the first couple episodes, he was pretty scary. But the whole thing was, like, that's absolutely true. You, you made a very good point. And that's the thing. Like, that's why Azula never got that chance. She was always on that high yeah. pedestal. And even Iroh never once showed any interest in bringing her onto, like, the right path, right? He's the great uncle, and he cares so much about Zuko, but he never really... We never got to see it, period. They never portrayed it, never showed it. She was always just a lost cause who was pure 
evil. Every character said she was evil, evil, evil. But if Avatar teaches us anything, it's that everybody is flawed. And that's okay. It's the people you have to support you and the actions you take from the influence of that growth you have of them that matter. But she never had that. Yeah. She's the only well, character on the entire show. Like, this is my next big point, right? Every major teen character gets a happy resolution, some sort of resolution that makes them a happy character. Like, Ty Lee joins except the. Except for Jet. Well, Jet kind of has that redeeming <laughs> thing before it, what, what happens to him. Right, right. right. But Jet still kind of <laughs> re- redeems himself. Yeah. Ty Lee joins the Kiyoshi Warriors. Uh, May ends up with Zuko. Everybody's good, except right. And May is the one that helped them escape. Yeah, the boiling that's the great. I, I love that moment with the boiling, boiling She was so badass. Yeah. Like I, you yes. underestimate it. You know, um, you miscalculate. You miscalculate it. Yeah, you miscalculate it. My love for Zuko is more than I fear you. But everybody, yeah. every teen character on the freaking show gets a happy resolution, except Azula. The writers completely botched and hastened her descent, like I said earlier. And it was all meant just to get Kataro so and Zuko. Do you like her because you feel bad for her? Or part do you like, of, why do you like her character? Okay, so part of so that much? part of that is but okay, let me let me finish my uh, my point to that too, right? So it's really tragic because you didn't even get an epilogue. Like what the hell? Even Ozai gets that scene, right? The last in the in the prison yeah, cell, in, yeah. In, yeah, like like the epilogue of it, right? So the last time we see her, she's chained and breathing fire and crying. And we don't even get a resolution. We don't even see her in the jail cell or she actually was in a rehab center. But I actually have a little story. Like I met Jean Yang who wrote um, The Search and the Promise about Azula's parent, uh, Azula's mom's backstory. And I yeah. interviewed him. And I told him my favorite character was Azula. Right, and I'm going to tell you why in a second. But he looked at me and he was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, man." <laughs> and I was like, "Why? You know, the books made it even worse for her. My gosh, like they just had it out for her. All the antagonists on the show, they have something. They have some sort of motive or thing they enjoy, but not Azula. Right? Her whole story is that she's a foil for Zuko. They wrote her." As a foil specifically for Zuko. She has no other motivation. It's not like she even wants to be the Fire Lord. She's not even plotting to be it. When Ozai appointed her Fire Lord, she was like genuinely surprised. And it's like she thought about it for the first time. Like, oh, hey, Fire Lord Azula sounds nice. Right? Like Ozai's... Well, I do feel to some extent like she probably felt that when Ozai died, she should be the next ruler. Right. But I don't think she meant to have it. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like that was her goal. And Ozai's goal was always to be fire Lord. She, he killed his father for that. Yeah. It felt like her goal was like just to be daddy's little girl and like do everything he said almost like to be perfect or to mess around with Zuko to met like to foil Zuko. That's her whole thing. Like she was literally created to be a pain in the side for Zuko. And we, we are never we never got a chance to see her desires and despairs. And the sad truth is she never had a chance to be liked. Because she was never a fully written, developed character, even in the books, that they resolved all the things, including freaking Ursa. Like why did we even <laughs> that Ursa ending was ridiculous too. And but the, the 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 real truth is she's actually one of the easiest characters to sympathize and root for as she embodies like everything we love about Team Avatar into one package. She's a badass female with where no man or woman can beat or control, right? Like the Avatar. She's she goes toe to toe with the Avatar, like Aang. She's smart, conniving, and tactical, like Sokka, 
She's beautiful, like Katara. And she has awesome, witty comebacks and insults like Toph. And she's just a cooler firebender than Zuko. She's all our favorite characters combined into one. But the reason you don't like her and a lot of people don't like her is because she was never fully developed. She was written specifically to not be a developed character. And that's totally evident by the ending. We don't even get an epilogue for her. It's really well, sad. the reason I didn't like her was because she did so many, like, actually pretty horrible things. Do you want me to get my list out? Yeah, <laughs> please do. Well, so let me just bring out, there's one, I'm not, because I told you I have, like, 24 things I wrote down of Azula's transgressions. Only? But I'm going to talk about, yeah, only. Well, it's like you said, she she doesn't, she's not there the whole first season, and the third season, she's not there much either. So it's really only the second season and a few episodes in the third that she's, like, a major, like, player so, um, but the biggest thing that I think, um, the biggest transgression she had or like something very telling about her, um, so she calls, uh, Uncle Iroh a quitter and a loser when he gives up on Ba Sing Se because his son is killed. And she, uh, goes on to say, and I wrote the exact quote, she says, he found out his son died and he just fell apart. A real general would stay and burn bossing say to the ground, not lose the battle and come home crying. Uh, so this is a pretty awful thing to say about your family member who just lost his son. So your cousin just died and that's how she reacts yeah. to it. And I do think that to some extent, this is how she was raised, but it also made me wonder like if she has some sort of like mental health thing going on that would cause her to act this way. I don't want to say sociopath because that's saying that, like, people lack feelings. And I don't think she does lack feelings. Because if she did, she probably wouldn't care that her friends left her at the end of the show. But you get my point, is it almost feels like there's something happening there that she's so completely lacking empathy for Uncle Iroh and saying such, like, a horrible thing. Because it doesn't matter, like, if she doesn't necessarily like him that much. Because at that point, she was still a kid. And I think she... His father, like, her father was always saying that he's lazy and he's this and that. Like, they were always kind of talking down about him. So I think she picked up on that. Now, everybody on just... the show made fun of Iroh's failure there. Like, Zhao, uh, Zhao, General Zhao, Zhao yeah. always said stuff like that, too. But he was more polite about it because he's a general. But Azula just flat out said what she was thinking. All Everybody was thinking that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. In the Fire Nation? In the Fire Nation, Maybe, most of them. But Zuko got really mad about that because he loved Because he knew. And what my yeah. point is like, even even in a country, like, because one of the points they make when, like, for instance, the episode where they learn the dance from the dragons, Zuko and Aang, they make the point that, like, firebending doesn't have to be hateful and that's, like, not all firebenders are bad. That the whole Fire Nation isn't bad. Like, that's yep. one of the kind of big things they say, which I think is pretty relevant to our world as well. It's not black and white. It's not, like, the generalizations that you make about people or the stereotypes that you have. Like, in most cases, they don't, they're not true. They don't apply to everyone. You know, there's always going to be people that don't fit into those boxes. So that's kind of what they're saying. So to say that like the whole Fire Nation felt that way about Iroh, I don't think so. I think it was the characters that we see because they're the all presented as generals, bad people. Yeah. Right. But we know that not all of them are. I mean, um, was it Jong Jong was the firebender master mm -hmm. who left, who defected? Yeah. So part of the Lotus. Know, yeah. 
the white lotus. Right, right. So, yeah, I think my, my point here is for her to say that that is so cold-hearted, that is so lacking compassion, and, you know, just imagine somebody saying that in real life. You would be like, I don't know if I want to hang out with this oh, person anymore. Yeah. Like, she she is. So that was one of the biggest reasons. That's that's why people don't like she her. She does have mental know? health issues, though. That's for sure. There's, there's Yeah, I, I agree. Well, and that's why when, when you're saying that, like, Zuko's her foil, like, I totally agree, but I mean it in the sense of, like, she highlights his changes because they're so similar. Like the beach episode shows how awkward they both are around people because their whole lives, people have been bowing to them and just doing whatever they're told because they're royalty. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then you also see how awkward Zuko is when he has to actually try to make friends with the Avatars gang. The like, only difference though between them is, and why Zuko's a little better there is because he actually had someone or had multiple characters love him in his life. His mother and his uncle whereas Zula had nobody like I wonder about the mother thing though because I feel like it's really unclear like she says that her mom calls her a monster and that's all we're told we only get like Azula's side of the story and we don't actually know what happened and earlier in the show when they have a flashback of them as children um Azula wants to tease Zuko and so she says, oh, mom, I want to play with Zuko. Don't you think we should, like, bond? And she says, yes, darling, that's a good idea. And her mom is, like, to me, in the flashbacks that they showed, her mom did not seem like a character that didn't love her. Do you want me to spoil the books No, for you? I'm going to read yeah. those eventually. Okay. We can do another episode then, and we can revisit this conversation. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. It seems... Um, I guess strange to me, but she, I guess I'll take your word for there it. Is, no one ever there is a her. big scene at the resolution of um, the pro the search where Azula and um, Ursa do have a conversation at the end, and there is something that yeah. happens. Well, there. and the other thing that's left unresolved is like before her mom um, leaves, because it's like in the flashback, she tells. So Azula's like bothering Zuko again. She's because she's always like manipulating mm -hmm. him, and she's always using his insecurities against him. She's always it's because of and I the say mother. maybe, but anyways, I say manipulating because it kind of goes beyond general teasing. Like teasing is what Katara and Sokka do when um, Sokka says something about her being optimistic, which is basically the same as being a liar. That's one of the jokes. <laughs> Uh, that they, that he makes like it's just they tease each other and you know it's sometimes at each other's expense but for the most part neither of them are feeling like bruised or anything by it where with Zuko like it's a really like serious stuff that Azula's saying to him because it's really like hurting him and scaring him and making him worry and like leaving him anxious and it's not you know it's it's not really just teasing so well, Azula is the Azula's master mom, gaslighter like she's yeah. she's that's all she knows how to do. She's manipulative yeah, and um, she gets to string people along for her own exploits. That's all she's ever known. Yeah. So her mom pulls her out of his room and says, we need to have a talking lady. And you never find out like what they talked about. So that's one of the loose ends that I hope would be in the comics because like, don't we all want to know? Like I kind of assume that she's just giving her a talk about like not being so mean to her brother and like yada yada, but it seemed important, you know, the way that yeah, they Yeah, that was that's not the fact yeah. that they even showed it. Like why why did they Bad show writing. it if they never resolve it? <laughs> 
No, you're. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I I can't really say much in comment about that because I know the ending and why. Right. There's a whole backstory and there's a reason why Azula and Zuko's relationship is the way it is, and it's manipulated because of somebody. So I don't want to say anything. Uh, so okay. we'll do another episode. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about? No, I, I went through all my points. Like I, I oh, think great. Azula is basically the character that perfectly embodies all our favorite characters. But the reason we don't love her like we should is because she's not written specifically well, for gets... you to like her. It's she's she's not. She right. has no motivation. Period. Her only motivation and is like to exist. You said, she never. She never gets the chance at redemption either. And she never changes. I think that's the big thing is like you see how the other characters change in, in many different ways, but not her. Yeah. She's pretty She static. doesn't change for the better or for the worse. She doesn't become better or like a, or like a more like a badder villain. Like Ozai just goes crazy bad. Like she just goes crazy without any well, motivation. She's kind of like the villain in the dark too, because we don't really see any like we don't really know much about him except for what he did to Zuko. Mm-hmm. And he really is also a flat character who just is like kind of evil for the sake of being evil, I guess. What you do, we do get a little backstory about how he manipulated and killed um, Azulon to become um, right a uh, Fire Lord. Right. His yeah, so father or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So we because he yeah because it was supposed to go to Iroh. he played the Game of Thrones and he won. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was one other thing I wanted to kind of pick apart with Azula, and that was her descent into madness her how she loses it and so there's a couple things here the first one is obviously which you already mentioned um that it does seem kind of just overnight suddenly she's crazy like her dad says she can't come along and then she yeah. starts losing it and then she becomes the fire lord she just completely starts losing it but they do have an interesting scene where she's um she cuts her hair like she cuts her bangs or whatever and it's all wonky and her mom shows up in the mirror and I think that's another part, aside from, like, the beach episode, where you do see her showing vulnerability. Because in the beach episode, she does mention that her mom called her a monster. And she even, um, she apologizes for making Ty Lee cry. Although, honestly, what she said to Ty Lee was true. Because she says about how Ty Lee's like, oh, don't act so ignorant. Don't act so stupid. You know that you're purposely acting this way so the boys will like you. Or whatever. And, like, honestly, she was right. Like, she was right. Yeah, she, Elzula um, tells it as it is, you know? No filters. <laughs> in, in that instance, and, and then Ty Lee cries. But the thing that was super surprising, because this is, like, one of the few moments you see anything different at all from Azula. She apologizes, and she says, I was jealous. Because Azula and Zuko, but, you know, in this instance we're talking about Azula, is socially awkward. She doesn't know how to talk to people outside of her circle. Like, she gets so weird with that guy. She follows Tylee's advice and gets him to kiss her. But then she's like, we're going to be the greatest couple in the Fire Nation. And he's like, I gotta go. Like, you know what I'm saying is she's definitely socially awkward because she never... She was always treated as Azula, the Fire Nation princess, right? Um, so... That was kind of an interesting moment for her. And then when she's going mad and looking in the mirror, um, her mom, it, it it's like this illusion that she sees of her mom. And it's kind of sad that they don't take this further and that it never it's gets resolved. Yeah. Okay, because she her mom says, like, you've only ever, like, ruled with fear. You've never made, like, real connections, kind of, is what her mom's saying. 
And the fact that this is an illusion leads me to believe that this is a realization that Azula is oh having in her own gosh, mind. Oh my gosh, I can't do this right now. <laughs> You're like, read this. the comments. Oh my gosh, I can't do this right now. Ugh, but yeah, I, I just thought that was a really interesting part of the show and one of the few moments where we see like anything different from Azula. And that, those moments in the show are what made me say I don't hate her anymore. And I just started to feel kind of sad for her because I felt like she wanted her mom to be there for one. And for two, she wanted her mom to like be there to guide her because she was starting to feel lost, similar to how Zuko feels, which does make sense. Well, this is why it's sad that you say in the comics that she doesn't get any like redemption or story because this is the point where it's, it's taken from. This is like her moment to feel lost and yeah. confused like Zuko did and then find herself, but apparently that she, doesn't happen. Yeah, she's really poorly written in the first book. And you know, I love Gene Yang. He's he's a great writer. Like he honestly is. Like people high school kids have to read his book now. It's it's I read it in college because they made us read it. But in high school now you have to read it here in California. It's about diversity and character development. It's great. But they messed up in the promise her character development is like it's even worse than in in the show but she does get like a mini resolution but it's so unlike her character and it's so the, the oh my god i just can't even with the whole ursa thing you you just have to read it like i there's no way i can even talk to you right now without spoiling it because everything okay. i have to say about it is like a rant about how stupid that was and how it made azula even worse of a character but you you right. might so you might actually we need to follow you up. might yeah we definitely need to follow up we're already eighty minutes in on this episode <laughs> or ninety minutes in and we gotta oh, we yeah. gotta end this shit right now man we're going too long it's okay I I have like one more thing to say this this will be our avatar special um so the the other thing that was like poor writing so when Iroh tries to teach Zuko how to bend lightning he says that. Zuko cannot do it because of the turmoil within him and he has to resolve oh. that before he'll be able to do it because you have to be calm to do it. So how does how does crazy Azula, who's completely <laughs> lost it, bend lightning to hit Katara? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I get why they have like that scene in there because they want to show that like, you know, it goes along with her being bad. It goes along with her realizing that she's probably not going to beat Zuko in this case and... You know, and it also allows Katara to have another, like, awesome moment. And, you know, it's... I can see why they kind of went there. But the thing is, based on what they said earlier about lightning, Azula should not have been able no, to conjure lightning that. at that not moment. Not even that. Do you remember just a few episodes before Zuko fucking forgot how to bend fire because he changed sides? He had that emotional yes. turmoil too because he didn't yes. know who he was. Azula, they literally had her cut her hair. She's going crazy. She doesn't know what she's doing. And she she's totally fine shooting fire, shooting lightning. <laughs> like, well, come on. I can see her shooting fire because Zuko, I mean, he's in turmoil like the whole show, right? And he can still firebend, but it's because it's based on negative energy and negative emotions. Sorry. Where the reason he... You can't make excuses for apparently. this. It's just it's just illogical logic from the Avatar universe. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I do feel I guess the thing about Zuko losing his bending, like, well, he doesn't lose it, but becoming weak. I'm okay with it because I kind of enjoy that rhetoric of him being like trying to figure out like how how to but, be good or whatever, but 
The other thing is in Bossing Say he literally gets sick, so it kind of goes along with like that narrative. But no, but they didn't write that. Did it need to happen? They didn't do that. Maybe no, not. they didn't do that for Zuko's development. They did that. Yeah, they did it so they could go to the so dragons. So they can go to the dragons and you can find out that Iroh is such a great guy and that he didn't kill the yeah. dragons. They needed to resolve that plot point. That's why they wrote that episode. And that's why I kept saying like season three really felt like just they rushed it. They needed to finish the story and resolve plots. Just like the Katara Zuko episode, they needed to resolve Kaya's story because we never found out what happened to the mother, right, Kaya? So they needed that episode. Yeah. And that's why I felt forced like, I don't think I don't think that episode was to find out about Kaya. I think that episode was for um, Katara to finally forgive Zuko, that too, and have like yeah. understanding mm -hmm. with him. Because the thing about her mom is like, basically, the Fire Nation killed her. Like, they, <laughs> we I don't feel like we needed to know more than well, that. Apparently, the writers thought we did, and then like. If we're actually doing this adventure of the week with Zuko but thing, even right? Toph never got episode, it. So they still like, don't. I know, yeah. Poor Like Toph. they even made a joke about it. Like Toph actually made that joke yes. in the show, right? But that's what I'm talking about. A lot of this shit that happened in season three was writing plot points to get something resolved. And it had nothing to do with character development. It just literally they had to finish up a plot yeah. because the season was ending or the show was ending. Yeah, sure. But here's the thing about the episode with Katara's mom is like you still don't really find exactly what happened to her. Like it sounds like she was taken and jailed somewhere. No, she was killed. But after that, really? Yeah, they like he said he, he killed her. <laughs> they killed her. Uh, yeah. Well, because what he because what I remember is him saying that like they they showed up to the tent after Katara runs against her dad and the mom was gone. Why didn't he just fucking kill her right there? Why did he take her away then? That's true because uh, in in other <laughs> that's yeah. why I'm like, did he imprison yeah, yeah, her for yeah, a while like before he when killed they met her? the bloodbender, whatever her name was, they took all the waterbenders and imprisoned them. So yes, I do understand why you would uh, think that. But Kaya was killed. Me not watching the episode closely enough. They <laughs> they actually said she was killed in that. She said, "Take my life instead," because I think they had new orders to kill them, not uh, capture them. Maybe because of what uh, the bloodbender did. She escaped, so they got new rules. Kill them all instead of capturing yeah, them. So maybe it's her fault. She she's, she ruined everything. Yep, thanks, Hama. Oh, you remember her name? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's her name. Like, I, yeah. I just, now, what do you think happened to her? Did they put her in jail again? Because she could easily just get back out the same way. Yeah, they didn't they, like, tie her up? Yeah, I, I was thinking, like, <laughs> wait, or Katara never or... told them that she can bend blood, so they could probably just throw her back in jail and she could do the same shit over again. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes, true. Go team but Avatar. remember, we don't kill people on this show. Oh, yeah, we okay. Just, we just bend in ways that they could die, but it's never confirmed that they do die. So, like you know, okay. <laughs> they're not All right. really All dead. right, PG. Sari, that's uh it is it's i saw this really hilarious thing on reddit along these lines where it was like talking about how it seems like they quote unquote don't kill people and someone was like but i mean look at this and they showed like a screen grab of like toff using uh bending to like push people into the fucking ceiling she's like their bones will yeah. be crushed <laughs> like come yeah, on no just like the finale of season one when um ang was in that avatar state some of those slashes, oh, there's yeah. no way. Zhao, gone. Yeah, exactly. well, yeah, he's dead. Zhao, killed there's him. There's no way he's alive. Drowned. They even said he's... Oh, and that's another reason why Zuko's a good guy. He he uh, didn't like Zhao very much, but he still tried to save him. Well, yeah, I mean, Zuko is a hero character. Actually, everybody's a hero character except for Azula, so... But he's torn and angsty. Yeah. 
and he has daddy well, issues. <laughs> well, that does it for our episode of Avatar. Yeah, we gotta stop. We, we could, could go on really for go days. On like forever, I could, but you guys are. Probably... I could probably do another two hours just based on the books, and we haven't even talked about Korra. Like, that's a whole different. Yeah. that's a whole new world. Yeah, here. and I really. We also have not talked about the movie that I watched fifteen minutes of today and said no. Yeah, I actually watched the whole thing today. <laughs> mm-hmm. I watched. I watched what? the whole film today before the show, and are I realized serious? it was. A lot worse than I remembered it. <laughs> Let me just say, I watched 15 minutes, and like some of the most disappointing thing was that they were white as fuck. I was like, why are they white? Yeah, like, yeah. Katara and Sokka. Yeah. I mean, it should be right. If we're gonna make controversy about everything else, like about the Little Mermaid being black, then shouldn't it be the opposite way too? Why are they not brown? They are brown. So that makes Wait, me mad. What, what do you mean? Why was, are they not brown? The whole cast is like brown. Katara, Katara and Saka are brown. That's true. They casted two white people to and play brown characters, brown. and they casted brown people to play yellow characters. Yeah, I didn't get yeah, that far. Basically, the entire cast is Indian, and they do have Asians as. Uh, as yeah, I did fighters. notice Zuko was Indian. Yeah, Death Patel. Like, yeah, he's really good. He's actually one of the only uh, again, good actors in that. Again, would prefer it to follow like the actual show and for me this isn't a racism thing because people like to bring racism into this but when you watch something or like or read a book or whatever and the characters are described a certain way like let's talk about the witcher um with the red-headed chick tris uh oh god what's her last name well her first name is tris and she's supposed to have like red hair and green eyes and it's just this random black woman and it's like okay great like i'm sure you're a great actor but you are not you just, you don't look like her. I think it's Tris Marigold. But anyways, like that's my point, is you have an expectation. You have an imagination of what all these characters look yeah. like. And so it's not about race when, I mean, it's about race when I'm saying I want them to be white or I want them to be brown instead of white. But you get my point is it's not a racist thing. It's more you like, I would also be that. mad if their eyes were brown. Can't like their eyes that. should be blue because they have blue eyes. It's all of that. And the guy who played Zuko, this isn't his fault, but whoever did the scar, yeah, it, was it not, barely it looked was like he scar, had one. Yeah. I was like, when he was in the dark, you couldn't even see. I was like, what did is you see this? A- he should did look you see maimed. Ong's tattoos? <laughs> no, it's tattoo. Ong. Oh, yeah, that was the other thing. They said all their yeah. names wrong. They said every, Iro instead every of Iro. Name, I was like, who? Every name who? is fucking different. And it's not like they butchered it. They purposely renamed them something else, like Ong. Like, Ang and Ong. Why? 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 Yeah, like, Iroh. Like, Didn't why? did they have the rights to do this? It was a, it's a it Nickelodeon, Nickelodeon film. Yeah, start. It's a Nickelodeon. So, okay, the backstory of this, and I know everything about this film. The backstory be- between... Oh we don't have time for this. We, <laughs> we can't go into this. All right, so this episode's done. I can go hours about... Yeah, tell me We'll, after. we'll do this in our bad... Bad anime cartoon adaptation films. And we'll also address the race thing because I did write an article many years ago about this that had a lot of uh, traction. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. I'm Ion, that's Sari. 
We are Incoherent Geek Shit. We are on the air every week, every Sunday. No, no, we're not. We're on the air every, guess it wrong. every, every other Sunday. So be sure to... Someday we might be every week, but probably So be not. sure to follow us uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. And also, if you want to rate us or give us a review, let us know what you guys think of the show. We would love to hear from you guys. Yeah, but thank and you guys if so you're much. watching this on YouTube, leave some comments about yeah. what, you thought, what you think about Avatar and what you think about the characters we talked about and... If you think I'm racist, uh, you know. Yeah. All yeah, those types tell, of things. tell us that series racist. I tell her that every day. But uh, yeah, any any last thoughts? As always, nope. Well, actually, if I had them, we wouldn't be able to share them because we really gotta. We gotta hightail out there. All right, see you guys next time. Bye bye.